So I like to call it tree for a tree. So we've taken the or a problem tree and converted it into a nutrient base for our reforestation. Most significant changes in the world have all come by mistake. (laughs) You know, penicillin, for example. Literally half the human population of the world wouldn't exist if it wasn't for that. Just to give some more context for people who don't know, the Wilding Pines are destroying local ecosystems. Yeah. Because they spread so fast, they grow quite fast and cover all the light. So therefore, smaller species, smaller uh, shrubs and shrubs and stuff can't grow and smaller animals and birds can't feed on those shrubs. Great. So it's sort of wiping out New Zealand's ecosystem. Great. Spreads. Yeah. Yeah. So with your initiative with Wilding & Co, you are found a way to uh, get rid of those trees that are spreading, but also found a way to make it profitable. Yeah, that's right. Business model. So rather than relying on government, we've never had any government funding at all. Don't get any money from the landowners either we remove we use the sale of the oil at bulk not uh, you know not in little bottles to cover the costs of the whole removal process yeah and then that whole conversation around hot composting and so forth is actually a byproduct of that process so when i distill the wilding pines i'm left with all the distilled needle mulch wood chip yeah and that becomes the brown or the carbon base for all of this green or food waste to mix in with to make Uh, the hot compost yeah so because i have that consistency of brown generation being the waste from the distillation i use that as the foundation for the um whole waste waste to wilderness so yeah so what then happens is um the mulch in its pure state is then distributed and we do like say 40 ton a week or more um, is distributed to a lot of the native reforestation projects yeah so trees that have mulch can be up to 50 percent more chance that they survive because yeah. of um moisture retention and yeah. better soil health so yeah so mulching the trees makes a mess and it reduces weeds for care and stuff like that as well yeah um so funny enough just right near this house um i'm about to drop off um about 40 skip loads for the shot over wetlands um ah, restoration work yeah mm. just down here yeah just over yeah. the back yeah, yeah yeah so that would normally cost say oh maybe five six thousand dollars for if you had to pay for that but because yeah. again the oil sales the whole mis- systems have been allowing this yeah mulch to be a, commu- a community asset um so i like to call it tree for a tree so we've taken the or a problem tree and converted it into a nutrient base for our that's brilliant reforestation well done that's amazing and it's not just yeah it's not just here it's um i've been involved in replantation initiatives around and it's used by um loads of communities Um, yeah 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 so we've got tucker's beach uh, welcome forest which is the new immigrants fault forest out the end of Calvin Heights, Jardine right. Park. Yep. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so Whitechapel Road. Is yeah, Whitechapel, yeah. yep. Um, I spoke to the lady in Joe Forestation yes. Trust and they're very excited about Whitechapel because she said it's one of the sites that's large enough to create a full ecosystem. Yeah. So they're replanting all native trees and she, eventually it will attract uh, native species back again to the yep. area. That's right. Um, if people are interested, there's a really cool concept called microforests, and there's a I can't remember the Japanese word for it, but you, you could search it. And um, 
it's really interesting. It doesn't have to be a big space. It can be like 50 square meters or 100 square meters. Right. And you create a real diverse ecology in that mm. small area and it becomes like a little nuclear power station of of activity that mm. can help with um, animals and plants uh, but also yeah can spread out kind of like a target you know middle of a bullseye of a dartboard and yeah. it can spread out from those um so yeah well, i've been playing a lot with that whole micro forest yeah. um, type cool. space and we're kind of letting the plants create their own relationships and yeah and, and grow together and cohabitate and yeah, yeah. that's something that interests me for example me and my mate we were out walking we've seen the signs about conservation and trying to keep the species uh, local species alive and, and thriving and the question came up uh, conservation versus evolution so the reason there's such cool species like the kia or the tui bird or the, the, the kiwi is because of evolution. It's yep. evolved that way. And my argument, which might seem crazy, is evolution of the world has led to things like the wilding pines being here. That is evolution. Yep. So by trying to conserve things, you're effectively stopping further evolution happening. Yep. yep. Do you understand my trail of thought? No, I, I'm going with that? I do. And... um. I was visiting a food forest down in Riverton, mm-hmm. run, and um, there's a good video on that. Um, the Guytons, Robin and Robert Guyton, uh, they live just on the edge of Riverton Township on the south coast. Okay. And um, so, food forests are a good example of what you could nearly call Forest 2.0. Uh, this, it's, What's a food forest? Like an orchard? Uh, so, food forest means, yes, you're, you're letting things grow in an un what would be deemed an uncontrolled state, yeah. but the berries are growing under the apple tree. The you know kind of like how it would happen naturally, mm. um, and they create their own uh, connected relationships, like they would in a normal, I guess, uh, forest landscape. Um, and so it's allowing the forest to evolve naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and but they they bear food, and mm. it's an interesting. The reason I raise that is that even at my own property a tui bird will spend a lot of time in this flowering apricot they spend a lot of time in an eucalyptus and you start to realize actually the critical thing is actually just having enough treescape for um birds to flourish you know it's actually the treescape in general that is really important and the issue so for example then you say well what's the issue with the treescape of the wilding pine douglas fir type situation Mm. And the only issue is is that it's unbalanced, so it's very um, monocultural. Yeah. So yeah. it's very singular. Yeah. And when you get that singular thing happen, be it a corn crop or a, a tree, in this instance, is it just lacks the diversity for health, a healthy ecology to exist. And so it's weirdly like a desert, you know, like there's mm. just not much going on. So it wouldn't matter if you had these pines if they were part of a system that was more balanced but it's just the fact they're yeah. taking over but it's not actually evolu- natural evolution yeah 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 you're trying to control the environment yeah and yeah. to be honest that possibly would balance itself out over a thousand years yeah. um so we yeah so yeah. it's more can we engage but it does it is interesting because then you have um this concept of um being very strict to what's called eco-sourcing so, like, you only have the plants that, that were historically there being mm. replanted. And 
um, I think that's an important movement, but it's not the only movement. Yeah, because um, it's constantly changing and evolving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's nice to always have what's called in permaculture zone maybe five. The, yeah, maybe there wasn't so many people here back then when that was the. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And and but if you watch the actual birds, say the native birds in this instance, which are our, I guess measure of health <laughs> um there's way more native birds in this basin than when i grew up and that's yeah. because there's just way more trees yeah. irrespective of what the species is right. um because it used to just be bare farmland all yeah. through the basin and now as actually ironically it's been subdivided more everyone puts boundary trees up and yeah. plants their gardens yeah. and and so that's actually generated food for we didn't have oh to be blunt not a single tui or bellbird none and now you might have 30 yeah around where we live so yeah. um so that's a positive mm, yeah. yeah so it does show they're not particularly selective <laughs> you know mm. um so you don't have to feel too it's just any kind of ecological expansion is actually generally good you yeah. know as long as it's not like i say too monocultural too unbalanced yeah. we have a similar contact um, with uh, Remarkable Fungi mm. friends of mine and they're doing the re- Remarkable Fungi thing which and I know they've worked with you at different yep. times what what was your connection with them and yeah so when they were first starting up I was being supportive of what they were doing yeah and then and I and off, offering kind of I guess options and solutions but they've really done an amazing job of driving actually that's a good example so I think Maggie's quite Accountant, yes, T, yes. and DJ's more is quite creative. Yeah. So that's as a partnership, they've got that yeah. those two elements. They hundred percent need each other. Yeah, yeah, they they work. They've got that really nice kind of um, balance or yeah. t- tensiony balance, one could say. Um, uh, yeah, so um, they've done an amazing job. And but my um, we were playing with could we use the waste of the wilding, my mulch as yeah. a um, as a growing medium, yeah. and we still play with that type of idea. But then recently, um, I I, um, I do compost all of their um, spent uh, yeah. grow, grow um, sawdust mycelium um, blocks. Yeah. And um, but recently, I've been playing with like turning those blocks actually into planter pots. Oh, so yeah. the mycelium is like a bonding agent, or the sport, you know, all the uh, yeah. white material, and um, it's like a flower pot. Yeah, so it's like I'm making a flower pot out of the mycelium yeah. blocks. And um, so I'm just testing, as I raise the manuka, a lot of natives need a lot of happy fungi to grow. Yeah. And I'm going to do some more tests, but it's looking like they grow very happily in these um, mycelium flower pots. Yeah, mm. interesting. So, yeah. And then you, then you plant the whole thing, so you don't yeah. have a plastic. And it breaks down naturally into yeah. the ground. Yeah, and it helps with um, – so you're not – a lot of natives are very uh, sensitive to their roots being disturbed during yeah. that movement. So you're trying to remove disturbance potential. Yeah, and that's where a lot of uh, replanting fails. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of species aren't replanted because they're too sensitive. Yeah. And so the idea is if you can plant the pot, you haven't touched the roots and then they have time to yeah. connect with the forest floor. And- DJ mentioned to me at one stage, and I don't know how far this went, but playing with the idea of particular type of fungi oh, yes. that could affect the wilding pines yes yes yeah yeah so the effort they're doing at the moment is very um expensive you know you've got guys uh, jumping out of helicopters cutting down trees yeah. 
and and, this, and poisoning as well. Mass, yeah, mass spraying, spraying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you're you're spot on. Um, I think it's a woman in that was at Canterbury University had identified a native New Zealand fungi that um, may deter and rot uh, pine species. Yeah, and so it's an interesting one because it's a fine line because you you want to obviously keep the um, commercial forestry okay. Yeah. But you also want to have a potential impact on the where it spreads. Yeah, um, uh, it's quite a sensitive fungi. We haven't. The dream was the dream, you know, was that we could inoculate like containers, uh, shipping containers full of our mulch mm. that we've taken from the wilding pines with this um, mycelium. This the and in a perfect world, then you would be able to spread that that what we've generated um, probably via helicopter in whole areas that yeah. would then make it a deterrent to seeds. You know, any mm. seeds that landed there would be potentially rotted yeah. rather than germinated. Um, yeah. And being a native fungi, not impact, you know, any, everything that's here because they're used to it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, bi- biocontrol concepts are really interesting and, yeah. um, and it would be amazing if it, worked and, and we will continue to play with it um but yeah I, like i said before we we don't generally get government funding or support for most things so we we just kind of play with it and yeah probably because things are high risk i guess so. yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i was really i found it so interesting when dj shared that concept to me and then i was around visiting some friends uh, an older couple were friends with and about the idea and i didn't know the whole concept i just knew mm. a little bit of information and he said that's just exactly like how when they introduced rats and possums. Yep. And it was uncontrollable. Yep. And so there is major risks involved with playing with this kind of stuff too. That's right. And yeah. and so if that was a, a fungi from overseas. Yeah. So an, or an example would be myrtle rust. So that has naturally come to New Zealand from Australia. It's a, it is a fungi. Is that what gets on garlic? And stuff? Uh, no, uh, myrtle rust is the one that's affecting, say, Pahutakawa and... Rata and right. uh, uh, myrtle, myrtle family trees, yeah. manuka, and what that can do is kills all those, kills the tree, kills yeah. the tree like cow, cow, like that, kind of like that cowrie dieback. That's probably another fungi issue yeah. that they don't know really what the answer is. I don't think to that. Um, so yes, it's it's when you have this shock of an uncontrolled, in that case, myrtle rust or um, varroa mite for the bees or whatever. It's these yeah. things that can... That are introduced. Introduced yeah. and unbalanced and from unprepared from. Yeah. yeah, From a different ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. But actually on a positive, I think they've found there's a New Zealand fungi that's fighting the myrtle rust ah. fungi. So that's what you'd want to find an example of in nature yeah. and then exacerbate it. That's where the human element comes in. Yeah. we can multiply and magnify something really wow. quickly so that's where observation like in permaculture they talk about observation yeah. is, is really important mm. that's great yeah 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 as as science moves on they're finding new ways yeah. to improve the situation yeah and and, and i think um on that, that another concept is it's really important to play mm. just dabble and try things out yeah you know like we get too caught up in things having to have a reason 
Um, but most significant changes in the world have all come by mistake. <laughs> you know, yeah. penicillin, for example, yeah, yeah, that was an accident. Literally half the human population of the world wouldn't exist if it wasn't for that. Yeah, you know, for that accident. Yeah, antibiotics. So have a play here. Yeah. You mm. never know what comes out, but that's part of the fun of it. Yeah, and and being. Yeah. Not afraid to not know what, what the outcome is. That's what play is. Yeah. It's imagination and, and just trying things. And the thing that comes out of it, you know, let's say my goal originally was to be making a New Zealand perfume, but actually the outcome's been processing wilding pines and playing with fungi. Yeah. You know, like that wasn't the, you know, defined route. You just yeah. don't know what's uh, what it's going to be. Yeah. That's what's exciting too. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, say, Queenstown, that's where our strengths lie is that you probably don't have a lot of other things that might stop you from being quite creative you know like old cultural considerations yeah so it is a good place to play definitely (laughs) yeah i definitely agree with it's been a good breeding ground for me to just have a go and try things yeah yeah and then you do have personality types around you that won't tell you off yeah actually will encourage you yeah which is great it's a great environment oh yeah i wanted to talk about greenwashing Oh, yeah. Probably very familiar with this. Yeah. thing I heard in Ireland about uh, everyone's trying to reduce their carbon footprint. And as you said, people finding loopholes and ways around it. Ireland is getting replanted with forests. but it's Yeah, not, monocultural. Yeah, but it's not native. It's, no, yeah. Sitka, yeah. Sitka spruce. And, yeah. yeah, which is a big lie. You know, it doesn't help the, the, the ecosystem. No. That's, that's why it's really good to see here from a personal point of view all the local initiatives of native reforestation. Yeah. And New Zealand is already in a good place for that because, say, well, just comparing it to Ireland, the whole native forests of Ireland were almost completely wiped out. Yeah. Um, whereas New Zealand, I think, has retained maybe 30% or some, something yeah. similar. Yeah, through through mountainous... And, um, low, and low populations, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah, overall, yeah. 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 Um, but, yeah, the, the greenwashing thing, I suppose, uh, my understanding of it is when corporations use this culture change to make their businesses look good for their own benefits, but they're maybe not actually making massive changes within their yep. their corporations. Yeah, so one of the challenges with carbon trading is that you don't have to change if you can afford to buy the carbon impact that yeah. you've um that your business has. Um so there's no real impetus to stop what you're doing if you can if, if you're so profitable yeah that you can just keep buying uh the equivalent carbon credits yeah um i mean the positive possibly being that someone's having to plant the trees to or do the activity to start that but then that's been um interesting in new zealand they're talking about uh pine-based carbon forests so when people are planting this monocultural species like an island as well yeah. not for productivity but just to trade for carbon this kind of new crypto it's become a new currency, currency yeah. yeah yeah and um and that's based on even science manipulation so a lot of the science that was used to value say fast growing pine trees was because it was corporately driven because they wanted that to have good data and it could could be afforded to whereas the native data was no one was driving that value stream. Yeah. So it basically natives at this point in time have exponentially less carbon value than the um but there are tree uh, groups like um Tane's Tree Trust that are more um that are trying to 
show the true value of a native carbon yeah. system and, yeah. and the fact that it has a far longer um, carbon sequestration potential than a than a carbon crop monocultural pine forest. Yeah. But generally speaking, the good thing about the pines is that they are there's not as many carbon forests as what people think. A lot of them are still actually being used for forestry, so yeah, being felled. Used for things like construction. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think it's more an issue when yeah, land gets locked up. I'm, I'm just going to hope that basically there's still more value. Where it would be good is if we had, again, that more intergenerational consideration. You, you probably experience this as a wood, woodworker, like a good totra or good rimu or a good New Zealand native hardwood is an incredibly good wood and, mm-hmm. and valuable, mm-hmm. but it just takes... 40 years longer, which is still the same time period as a Scandinavian pine, um, to become yeah. mature enough to process. Yeah. And um, there's a massive difference in terms of quality. Though. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, our houses used to be made of Rimu and Totra, um, and they that's why they still exist 200 years later. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, compared to the softwoods. So, yes, yeah, so I, I hope. The problem is they're getting harvested too fast. There's mm. not an um, uh, awareness of trying to keep those forests alive. It's thinking solely about profit. Yeah. The, all these native species around the world are getting wiped out. Yeah. And replaced by the fast-growing, lesser quality. Um, Eucalyptus pines. or pines. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so it is it's an interesting space. Um, that world relates to that more um, superannuation funds and government concepts that can be 200 year um financial models yeah. you know because we that's one of the biggest challenges at the moment is that most of our economic models only work on 5 10 15 year yeah exit strategies you know yeah. even forestry is considered long at 40 years you know yeah. um so that's the po- possibly the positive side of carbon if it could become more um weighted towards native ecology is that you could actually get return from the credits as the native forest is growing um but then only selectively harvest those natives um in a hundred years time yeah um yeah. so you don't destroy all the sub canopy yeah um growth yeah. you don't don't clear fell wait and see <laughs> with the whole sort of greenwashing concept even though it's done for the wrong reasons maybe there's a benefit to it um in terms of awareness Mm. I mean, if all these big corporations are talking about climate change, it's changing culture and people's awareness of how we view the world, I guess. Yeah. I think it's interesting. So if you look at packaging as an example, um, generally uh, good, it would be actually good business practice from a a corporate perspective to initiate a lot of the things that are associated with actual better principles because less plastic packaging yeah because you might be saving 25 percent on your packaging costs because you're using less of it or you the consumer's capable of using a refill system so well you're not having to spend so much money on the primary product or whatever so um yeah there's potential for it to be used in the right way yeah so i think the trend is good but it's possibly significantly too slow compared to a lot of the targets we're trying to um, achieve because it's yeah. more like a paradigm shift and yeah. humans aren't good at paradigm shifts. Um, <laughs> Unless we're forced into it, which maybe we are being. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, that 
leads us nicely into you know the idea of things can become quite daunting um and for you as somebody who's uh, making change and creating awareness how when things become maybe slightly overwhelming or negative how do you bring it back to positive uh what what are the benefits or what are the rewards mm. what gives you satisfaction i think probably the important things to do is to um localize a lot of your cares a lot of international systems or issues are just far beyond anything we can really engage with but weirdly enough you know for example if queenstown just became and hey good example being the 2030 carbon neutral conversation that they're saying for tourism that's quite a significant statement kind of like 100% pure new zealand used to be the uh sarchi's ad thing but weirdly enough it nearly forced us to be more pure than we would have been if that campaign didn't exist yeah, yeah. or be more considerate yeah um and i feel like that 2030 concept of carbon neutrality is going to force change that possibly wouldn't exist without that statement yeah. being there and it's quite local and let's say we enforce a form of um flight transport to queenstown to be quite carbon neutral yeah well those models could have a regional national global trickle effect yeah and i if anything i i become extremely frustrated that we are really the 0.001 percent of the global population mm. in the sense of that not you know, the old classic 99 percent or the one percent mm. well sadly everyone who lives here we're in the 0.01 percent yeah. of um privilege and it more frustrates me that we're not the leading catalysts because we have the most privilege yeah by far and, and sometimes it may not feel like it, but we are so yeah. incredibly privileged. And so for us not to be zero waste, yeah. high... We've got the potential. Yeah. yeah. Far more so than most communities yeah. have. And so it's nearly um, a precursor that we need to be the leading in, you know, should we should be passive house or, you know, very... We should take whatever the national standards are and say they have to be triple that or whatever. Yeah. Um, we should be... You know, energy reduction, you know, interesting transport systems. Yeah. You know, we can be a, a place where a lot of that can change, where a lot of people don't have that potential yeah. or even option. So um, it's yeah, nearly a disservice that we don't force that more. But, yeah. um, but I think that 2030 statement for carbon neutrality yeah. actually will impact. You see um, Air New Zealand advertising this um, hydro-powered airplanes. And yeah, like the yeah, hydrogen methodologies yeah um um and a lot of it is actually just you know the low-hanging fruit in most instances is just being more um conservative less wasteful more considerate um it's a lot of it's just behavioral adjustment um and i suppose we've changed to become this way this wasteful society yep so in the same way we changed we can change back yeah i mean i'm i'm 45 i spent a lot of time growing up with my grandmother and she was prescient teenager, war, yeah. adult. And man, the way she lived for efficiency was, yeah, fr- frugal, but not like sacrificial. Yeah. You know, there was an enjoyment in just that yeah. way of being and living. And, and um, um, 
so I don't know if you had that same experience with your grandparents or not or yeah yeah potato famine that's what food yeah <laughs> that's a whole another topic but yeah we my family didn't go quite well my knowledge of my family doesn't go quite that far that, that right. far back but say I, I'll go to my grandparents um they would have had a pig on on the house and yep. they would have had a load of geese and some chickens and and everything was localized you know yep and whatever they didn't have, maybe their neighbor had. Yep. Everyone, even my parents would have had, like, every house would have a sewing machine. Yes. And repair yes. clothes. Uh, furniture would get repaired. My dad would repair the washing machine if it broke. Yep. And it's only really in my generation that this throwaway yep. society has, has come about. The uh, IKEA model and, and things like that have become mm. so popular. Mm. But, yeah, when we talk about cultural change, I think there's a massive shift happening, you know. Uh, you've just seen the baby steps of it at the moment, but it's part of conversation everywhere. Yep. Um, and you see uh, the popularity of community markets, farmers' markets, mm. uh, buy locally, sustainable all that stuff. Yeah. So those are the baby steps of change. I, I believe it's happening. Yeah. I heard something the Prime Minister said a few years back and um, she said when she got into office climate change wasn't even really a thing for people, you know. Mm. It was denied. People were saying mm. it wasn't real. Mm. Uh, now it's a conversation. People know it's a problem. And yep. now it's the question is how do we tackle the problem? Yeah. So that's massive change just in a small space of time. Yeah. So uh, it's a lot easier to fight a battle when you know what you're fighting and yeah, I think yeah, there's lots of positives there to be had. Yeah, there is. And there's one catalyst, you know, you talk about like a fire starter or an igniter or, a ca- you know, a catalyst yeah. for change or you need, you need a fuel. Yeah, well, there was COVID. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing, so we saw we saw a difference. We, we use that as a case study, right? Yeah. But then the interesting thing about tourism or the way you consider tourism, that's a, a feedstock of people and energy and money. Mm-hmm. Um and what, what are they feeding? You know, at the moment, it's jet boats and stuff like that. But if I'm traveling, I could be very interested in a number of ecotourism type concepts, like yeah. what Trent does with ZipTrek. And so if you're coming up, with, let's say it's Remarkable Fungi, and they're coming up with a concept or a product or a packaging or whatever it could be, we have this immediate way to present and sell and promote. And, and you can not only sell the product, but you can also sell the experience. Yeah, you know, so yeah. it could be the journey to going to a cheese factory or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, and that's become very popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the forms of tourism, you know, possibly going up and seeing a regenerative farm, or you know, like yeah. uh, or amazing glass houses like they have in the Netherlands or whatever. Yeah. You know, like this. What is entertainment? Um, yeah. And if that person being shown that journey is paying some money to do so, it's another form of cash flow for R and D. Yeah. Or, or it takes the risk out of that startup. Yeah. To the or same just extent. makes it sustainable. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if we, again, look at us as being the 0.01%, having that catalyst of, of yeah. tourism, what can we trial and test and play yeah. with? And, you know, um, yeah, town just out of here can't afford to trial electric buses because there's no, you know, reason to. But, yeah. but here we have every reason to try it. Yes, you know? um, yeah. So... Yeah. It's, yeah, so I think that that's an exciting part of the Queenstown. So as a positive, I would say there's massive potential. Yeah, yeah. And and if anything, we've just got to um, yeah manage the bullshit and um, and be very neighbourly, you know, like work with your, your local communities and your local friendships and, 
and try things out and support each other. You know, there's going to be things like higher cost of living and rent pressure and all these other things that go on. But if you have your your collective resolve, like you said about your neighbours and for our yeah. grandparents, you know, and sharing and yeah. stuff. But yeah, they're, they're also an, a- an answer to the problem of rising costs. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, I know you're a very busy man. Um, and um, if you could, Michael... Um, in the ideal world, if everything was to work out how you'd like, could you paint us a picture of what you'll be doing in five years and how things will be locally within this community in five years? Cool. Um, personally, um, I will be yeah always following very similar themes. Yeah. But if I look at, um, I guess I, I yeah I I live by that mantra of always being open and conscious to th- situations around me or problems around me and yeah. so forth. And um, so I'll continue to work in that way. Um, yeah, so I'm really interested in, like, for example, fast planting methodologies, you know, ways of using human touch to expand ecologies far faster than they can do themselves. Yeah. So I do a lot of playing in that space. You know, yeah. how do you capture millions of seeds from native forests and read populate them somewhere else yeah. yeah that yeah forest affluence um and uh so I'm, I'm playing with that a lot at the moment this is a personal concept i'd be really interested in our road networks becoming ecology networks um there's about a meter and a half on the edge of every single road in new zealand that is this really interesting dead space that's normally just grass or weeds between the road and the the farmer's fence normally. And there's really interesting examples when you're driving around where it's this little weird ecological space because it's not being eaten by the animals and it's not being touched by the road. And so I did work it out that you could comfortably plant a billion not just trees, I'm probably more interested actually in shrubs and hebes. And it's, it's um, very similar to the um, hedge ecology of, of Great Britain. You know, yeah. So there's actually ecologies that exist now just in the hedgerows. Yeah. Um, and we could do that in New Zealand a lot more. Weirdly enough, it would be, even though it's a billion trees, it wouldn't fit the carbon, current carbon network. You wouldn't be allowed to treat that as carbon credits but um let's fight towards that being changed because farmers aren't allowed to capture the carbon from the hedgerows because it's not defined as a big enough area even though it's thousands of kilometers um of trees but it's because they don't think there's an ecology within it um they just don't deem it as being measurable but it is should be Yeah, yeah it should be um so yeah i'm really interested in yeah fast planting ecologies um so yeah, we'll see where that takes me. Still really interested in housing. You know, still think there's a lot of work that could be done around making smaller secondary home design available to um, communities, mm-hmm. and especially around here to de- depressurize. It's not about building new subdivisions. It's actually about letting existing services and infrastructure little you know fill in the, all the little gaps. You know, yeah. um, you know, out where I live, I could easily have couple of extra houses on our same property that are small i'm not talking big mm-hmm. that could house really important people in our community yeah it's not about ta- it's about taking the pressure off home ownership you know we need a yeah. lot more stable rentals um 
but yeah, five yeah. years is a short time for um for housing, sadly. Um, but yeah, that's a space I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and I do quite a lot of work in Riverton as well. So I'm just gonna keep playing with some ideas. Yeah. Down there. Yeah. Well, I look forward to um following your journey and and see where it takes you. Because yeah. I know it's gonna be good. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, commend you on all your work. Thank you. Everyone has a choice in how to spend their time. Um, mm. So it's good that you're spending your time in a positive way, trying to make change. Yeah. yeah. Actually, and that's kind of an interesting point. Like, for example, a lot of the work I do, I've made it so it fits in with a rhythm. That's me. You know, it's like I, I go to Arrowtown because of my daughter going to school there. Yeah. So I pick up food waste on the way. It's not like I'm not, not sacrificing yeah. too much. I mean, I, and I do enjoy that just anyway. It's like a bike riding or something for someone yeah. else so yeah so it doesn't always have to be like you've G- gigantic effort it's, yeah it's, um, making it suit your lifestyle yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah exactly so um, it's organic mm, it is it is yeah yeah that's right slow down today